his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Monday, March 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and coming up on today's show, we'll speak with Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America's Legislative Director, Tom Porter, about IAVA's Storm the Hill event that kicks off today. We'll also talk to him about their new Big Six priorities for 2018 and beyond. Later, the host of the After Action Review podcast, Rod Rodriguez, He's going to come in to join us and talk about his podcast, which focuses on telling the stories and sharing the expertise of veteran and military entrepreneurs, particularly successful entrepreneurs. And you can learn a lot from the failed entrepreneurs, but you can learn even more from those who have had success. So all of that and more on this Monday morning briefing. And it kicks off now as the great Jake Hughes settles into the studio. Oh, look, they love you, man. The crowd goes wild every time Jake makes his way into the studio. I know, I know. Please contain yourselves. And he responds the same way every time. He's consistent, if nothing else. Jake, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. It's, uh, I didn't watch the Oscar. <laughs> you don't sound too convinced. No, <laughs> no, like, well, I'm, trying to th- was, uh, I'm trying to think. It, it was the weather here in D.C. was rather odd. There was a very high yeah. winds. Yeah, and yeah, that it wasn't, was, wasn't good. That was annoying. And then uh, I had fun not watching the Oscars. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I am averse to all award shows and have been for... I would guess a decade or more because it just dawned on me one time while I was watching it and and being talked down to by yeah. uh, someone who I knew had been a millionaire since they were about 14 years old from pretending to be somebody else. Uh, I really don't think that uh, celebrities need more of a platform. And I find it remarkably distasteful that they give each other these awards and get all uh, persnickety about whether oh he's never gotten enough he deserves an Oscar he does oh the money's not enough you need a little statue too oh that's adorable well, look man I for as much <laughs> the reason I didn't watch the Oscars because they get way too political these days but I still believe in sort of the grandeur and the mythos of Tinseltown of Hollywood it's to all where fake Jake yeah I it's know all fake I know of phonies. but I like this year some really deserving people got awards and I'm serious for they got recognition like Guillermo del Toro after 30 years of making some of the most original compelling movies out there finally got his recognition one of my favorite actors Gary Oldman finally got his best actor uh, best actress Frances McDormand who really is, if you've never seen three billboards outside of Ebbing Missouri you need to watch it it's really good I heard people said it was problematic because of the way it treats uh, the issues of rape and other things I, it, it was it was weird that there was a backlash against i like i like uh, good actors and actresses and and i don't care for when they start spouting their opinions particularly people who that's all they've ever done yeah it's like where where is your foreign policy expertise coming from 
Uh, you know, I'm just not sure what James Franco has to tell me about what's going on in Afghanistan uh, as I've actually been there. And I don't know that he has. I don't think he was at the Oscars. Uh, a lot of people were kind of persona non grata because of all of the, uh, well, the issues that have been happening out in Hollywood. But Frances McDormand is in uh, a couple of my favorite movies. I mean, she was in Fargo. She was fantastic in that. She's married to one of the Coen brothers. Can never remember whether it's Joel or Ethan, but the Coen brothers, who are two of my favorite filmmakers, and another thing that I like about the Coen brothers, just beside the fact that they make, uh, they've made a lot of great films. They've made some stinkers, but they've made a lot of fantastic. The Big Lebowski is uh, maybe my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Um, I like that I don't know anything about them, and I don't hear anything about them, and they don't uh, grandstand and get up on their soapbox, and they they just don't seem to care about that. They're going to make great movies like The Big Lebowski. Fargo, uh, No Country for Old Men, and uh, and then their weird, odd ones like Intolerable Cruelty, which I thought was awful. Lady Killer is not very good, but I, they they do their thing. They make their movies, and then they shut up and go about their business weren't and they enjoy the ones, their millions. Weren't they the ones that made the Three Stooges movie too? I don't think I, so. I know there was a pair of brothers. I don't know if I it was the Coen brothers. I don't think so. Who made the Three Stooges? Let's find which if out. You ever, if you haven't seen it, it was really it was a. Beautiful homage to the Three Stooges. It didn't do very well. No, I remember it didn't. that. Now, I believe I was stationed in... No, I was out when that came out. For some reason, I thought that came out while I was in Guam. But it says it came out in 2012, so I would have already been out of the military. Ah, the Ferrelli brothers. Ferrelli. I knew it was a did, pair of brothers. They did There's Something About Mary and other things like that. Um, I know that Will Sasso was in that movie and played Curly, and yeah. the, he's the spitting image of Curly. So, yeah, it was a... Uh, but it's yeah, like, like I said, I still believe in that whole mythos, and I believe that award shows, you know, I, there is a lot of, you know, circle, circular padding on the back and oh, things yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. But I do think it's good when people who deserve recognition get it. Here's the thing. I think the recognition is people appreciating their craft. Like, we do a fantastic radio show here, Jake. Brought to you by Intercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day, focusing on the military and veteran experience, and uh, that's enough. We don't need people to give us awards and things on top of that. You know Says I mean? the man on the Hill Vets 100 list. Yeah, well, that's not, you know, quite the same level as <laughs> the Oscars, but hey, I'll take it. I'll also take our website, ConnectingVets.com, which has so much great content focusing on everything within the veteran experience and there was an interesting post that went up from our own filbert bird dog briggs uh if you don't know why he's called that uh, go check out our video that you can find on our site as well as on youtube of the hunting trip that phil and i went on with rob jones ben kiernan and retired navy seal senior chief don shipley out in the eastern shore of maryland you'll learn where the bird dog nickname comes from um <laughs> it's pretty good. So Phil wrote a post about the AR-15, Jake. Now, Phil is a Navy veteran who served in the like late 90s, basically, uh, peacetime, as he says, a peacetime sailor. Never held an AR-15 or, or an M-16 or an M-4. I mean, never held one on duty, never held one afterwards. So kind of had this uh, this lack of understanding of it like many people do many people who are strongly engaged in the uh, gun control debate have never fired one before which is it's odd to me i mean i keep reading things about about these guns that are just false yeah i, mean, I was reading one yesterday where it's like the exit wound can be up to two feet wide two feet wide what are, are they shooting 50 caliber rounds out of these know, things right? now that i'm not aware of also people tend not to be two feet wide so how could an exit anyway um the 
the rifle is uh, the boogeyman to a lot of people, and Phil was one of those. So he went out to a firing range to shoot it and learn a little bit about it and try to see what his opinion was after he had fired uh, the AR-15. So he went out to a range where you can rent the guns. There's nothing for sale there. You rent the guns. You rent the ammunition. You, the, there you go. You use it at the range and wrote a piece about it saying, like, you know, it's just like every other rifle that I've fired. It looks different, but that's about it. And that's kind of what the AR-15 issue is all about, the fact that it looks different. Uh, he went out, wrote this story saying, I, I have a, a more understanding of this. I'm less afraid of this rifle. I kind of see it a little bit differently now. And uh, Phil went to put that on Facebook. And then uh, there was, uh, because this is what we do for a living, there was uh, a decision, I think, on his end. I think he did it almost personally i don't know but to advertise it basically to like push it have it be a you know, sponsored promoted click post. that little boost button yeah the little facebook. boost button that you see on facebook where you can pay to have your uh, your post reach a larger audience because as individuals you don't have all that many friends and if they share it and then other people share it but when it's a, a business issue you promote things i mean that's the way it works facebook took it down, wouldn't let him boost it and said it's promoting uh, the sale and use of guns and all this other stuff. And Phil and I had a discussion about it. I said, man, you need to call them because it doesn't. It had nothing to do. It, it didn't broach any of their rules. Facebook's rules on gun posts are basically you can't promote any business that sells guns which I don't know how I feel about that either, like saying specific businesses can't advertise there. Uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, court cases about you know businesses being able to advertise people being able to yeah it's 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 a very difficult thing but it's the rules that they have now and i told phil like hey man this is and he he already knew this but we had the discussion i said you're not promoting them you are this is a news story this isn't an advertisement for guns the the place actually i believe invited phil there to you know he had reached out to them and said i want to learn about the ar-15 will someone talk to me about it and they said yeah, yeah sure he showed up and then nobody would talk to him and basically he got the cold shoulder from everybody because <laughs> I think they thought maybe he was, it was going to be a hit piece on them on you know, Oh, look at these idiots with their guns and things like that. Whatever. That's their uh, prerogative to not speak to him. Phil uh, didn't even speak to anybody there. It's just all about his experience with firing this rifle in a controlled environment, the rifle range rented it, didn't buy it, didn't buy, didn't buy ammunition except to use right there at the range. None of it violated any of the rules that Facebook sent over to him. So he, he sent them an email and they second time said like, nope, this goes against our rules. We cannot put it up there. And eventually he put in a call to them and spoke to some big person at Facebook who put the post back up and said, we're sorry about this. I, I checked it. It doesn't violate any of our rules, but only because he kept going after them and went to that third level, essentially of reaching out. And whereas most businesses, you know, after the first two times you reach out and say, like, try to post something and they say, no, this violates the rules. You're just going to go, all right, this isn't worth my time. Um, he wrote a story about it called is Facebook blocking posts about guns? And yes, they are. Now they eventually, as I said, uh, relented and put his uh, his sponsored post up there and said, this doesn't violate it. This is a news story about the gun. It's not promoting the gun or selling the gun. It's, it's an unbiased uh, look at them, essentially, in his own way. But prior to that, man, yeah, they, they had taken down that post. And again, unless you continue going up that ladder, if he hadn't started making phone calls to the actual company, it still would have been blocked. And what we found out when Phil talked to them is that this was not like an algorithm. It didn't catch words like it was a computer doing it. People read his story and decided it was against the rules. 
And then this third person said, well, no, it's not. Well, then how come the first two people that looked at it said that it was? I mean, Personal it's, bias. it's clearly not. So that's that's an issue. And, you know, if people are out there and they're like bird dog, you know, he's the bird dog, man. He's going to keep charging after the charging after that bird and then stomping on its head when he gets to it again. Check out the video. It's on connecting. dot com. He he kept at it and it took a couple of days, like two days after he initially tried to do it. Most people who are even those who are promoting posts would have just stopped there. Now, they could also have their own personal reasons for stopping there because had he not reached out to them again, guess what? His article becomes not, is Facebook blocking posts about guns? It's Facebook is blocking posts about guns. If he had not reached out to them, listen, he he appealed and they still told him no. He still kept at it and eventually got them to approve it. Uh, had he not doing that, done that, which was not his responsibility, it's their responsibility to follow their own rules, that would make them look bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's a story that, again, there is clearly, clearly no violation of any of their rules, yet it still got blocked from being a promoted post. Yeah, the problem is what we're looking at here is personal biases on the, on the hands of the people who read the story. Yeah. If they read the story at all and didn't just look at the title and said, oh, icky guns and yeah. But blocked it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I just, I don't understand it. Uh, well, I do understand it. I don't understand how you could do that. And Phil, Phil actually in the story, you can go check it out. So people have probably heard about social media and promoted posts and these issues. There was an issue where, uh, I believe, uh, one of Facebook's big, um, metrics people, the big boss over there, I think his name is Boz. He goes by or something like that. Um, put out uh, a release basically showing some metrics from the election because of a comment that was made from the president's social media manager during the campaign saying that they got, you know, uh, impressions per minute uh, for pennies on the dollar. And then other people saying, well, they charged him less than they charged Hillary. The Facebook guy came out and said, listen, here are the metrics. Clearly we didn't charge anybody more or less. Just has to do with the type of post when it was put up, how long, all that stuff. Anyway, um, you, you hear about those, but if you go and look at Phil's story, which again, it's on connectingvets.com. It's right there on the front. You can actually see screenshots of his interaction with Facebook. So we're being completely transparent here and showing the whole process. I mean, you see the screenshot that says ad not approved. Your post is still published on your page, but it is no longer boosted because it doesn't follow Facebook's advertising policies. Well, it's not an ad for one. It's a, it's a story. It's a news story, but can you imagine if they blocked uh, a story? Well, here's, here's a question. Not, can you imagine, but could you ever imagine them blocking a story that was critical of the AR 15 from a media outlet? No, no, neither can I. And this one, it wasn't critical of it. It wasn't glorifying it either. It was like, all right, this is just kind of a normal rifle. And that's the issue that's kind of come up with the AR-15. We've had discussions about it. Uh, if you want to hear a fun one, go back to last Tuesday. Justin Brown and I, we had a, a lively discussion on gun violence. And I am of the belief that the common denominator in mass shootings uh, in particular, which make up a tiny fraction of all gun violence in this country, but the common denominator of uh, of mass shootings and mass attacks is not the AR-15, it's crazy people. I mean, the deadliest school shooting we've ever had in this country, there was no AR-15 involved. It happened at Virginia Tech, and it was two handguns that the gentleman 
uh, the gentleman, the psychopath, was using. And again, the, I think the mental illness is really the common denominator. The AR-15, yeah, it's oftentimes used in these events. And Ben Stein, the uh, you know the teacher from Ferris Bueller and Win Ben Stein's Money, former presidential speechwriter, had an interesting take on it that I think there's something too, and that is that the AR-15 allows nerds to think that they're Rambo because it looks like a military-style weapon. Yep. And I, I keep seeing articles, including some being posted by people who I know are familiar with the weapon, um, but have their their opinions on it on why it shouldn't be legal. And that's absolutely fine. But I keep seeing articles about how, like, it's it's you know incredibly dangerous. It's this. It's that. And, and focusing on the AR-15, which is, again, no more dangerous than a Woodstock rifle that fires a two two three or 5.56. It, it depends on the ammunition more so than the rifle. I mean, the AR-15 is not, you know, it's it's length of fire, it's range is less than some other rifles, yeah. actually. The uh, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, there are AR-15s that fire a 22, 22 round. Yeah. I I made the point on a, in a little, uh, we'll say heated Facebook discussion. Was uh, that the one where you called, an, or you were called an Obama Kool-Aid drinker? No, that was a that wasn't a, that wasn't an official story I made. This is with me and a oh a, a personal person. one, yeah, 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 a person who said that you know you sh- we shouldn't allow weapons that can kill this many people in this many seconds. And I said, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. What about okay, forget AR-15s. What about uh, say a lever action rifle with an eight round internal magazine? You could easily kill twenty people in five minutes with that. Yeah, and there are some lever action rifles that are a lot more powerful than the AR-15 style weapon. Yeah, so we gonna ban them next. And see, and, that, and that's the thing is that yeah. where with the whole gun ban thing, where does it end? At what yeah. point do you stop? Do you stop saying okay, now we're good? Un- right. With the exception of people who want to ban all guns. Well, here's here's where I think a lot of gun owners and gun rights advocates, people like a Patriot Alliance, the clothing company that we talked to on Friday, who are very pro Second Amendment, and in fact, a bunch of their shirts are are specifically pro Second Amendment shirts. Um, they are worried that. There's a dishonesty out there when people say, we're not trying to come and take your guns. We just want to get the AR-15 out of there because it's used in these mass shootings. It's used in this. It's used in that. Well, here's the thing. Mass shootings predate the AR-15. They are not going to stop. I don't believe that they're going to stop. I don't believe that crazy people who have the desire to kill a bunch of people are going to stop just because you take their favorite weapon away they'll move on to another one so when it's not the ar-15 anymore when it's now a mini 14 when it's some other woodstock rifle out there then do we move on to that well we're not trying to take all your guns away we just want to take the mini 14 away and then when they move on to another one that lever action internal magazine rifle that you were talking about the old west cowboy style rifle you know that one that's what it that's what jake's talking about then they would just we they just want to get rid of that one and I don't like the term slippery slope because in many arguments, it's just foolish. It's a fallacy. It it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, But that's what people are worried about. And in this case, I could certainly see uh, where that would happen because right now it's it's demonizing the AR-15 and the AR-15 is simply a tool. The people who are using it, if you take the AR-15 away, I don't think they're going to all of a sudden get better and not want to do these things. I think it's a mental health issue more than anything. And when it comes to gun violence, I think that there is uh, a misfocus. I think that handguns, which are highly regulated in most places in this country, getting a handgun has all of those background checks that everybody wants in place. In fact, getting a rifle or a shotgun does as well. It just seems uh, to some people like it goes too fast because technology allows it to go fast. You put in, uh, when uh, you go and buy a shotgun, 
bought a shotgun in Long Island, New York, for example. Went in, they did the FBI background check. It's electronic now. So they put in my information, my social security number. Nothing comes back. Okay, there you go. I'm good to go. If, you know, people want to wait a week or something like that. What's going to change over that week? Yeah, my my thing is that we need to improve the infrastructure of these checks so to where there's more communication between mm. systems. Yeah, that's that a big way because and if that in my opinion and this is me, you just kind of discussed this, but if that means it takes longer. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with whatever steps we need to take to keep to keep the high power weapons out of the hands of crazy people and felons yeah. and all these other people. Right. So that's that's my version of common sense gun control. That is um, a th- that is an interesting point and certainly one that uh you know that we need to um that we need to look at and that is going to be that you know there are. Uh, there are crazy people out there who we know are crazy, who are documented as crazy. Look at people like uh, this the, the monster in Texas who shot up the church yeah. and killed some of his in-laws. The Air Force knew that he was a problem. They knew that he was violent. They knew all of this stuff. That information never got over. However, there are also people who... Uh, we don't know are crazy because they're not committed. They're not convicted of anything. Uh, the monster down in Florida this time. He had never been convicted of anything. He was expelled from school. Being expelled from school is not a crime. That's not something that gets put on your record. And if it is, I mean, you could be expelled from school for cheating on tests or something like that. Should that mean then that you're never able uh, to purchase a firearm because you cheated on a math test or the SAT or something like that? I mean, there are specific things that you can use to keep people. Domestic violence is one of them. That is an indicator specifically for murder, murder, suicide, things like that. Uh, The majority of murders in this country are not mass shootings. They're not uh, criminals uh, robbing people and killing them, but actually domestic in nature suicides also a large portion of gun deaths in this country Uh, mass shootings and if you look at the rifles look at like the ar-15 we're talking about in a country where there's about 13,000 on average 13,000 gun murders annually about two to three hundred depending on the year 250 to 300 let's say looking at thinking back at the numbers and again i don't have the numbers right in front of me but i've done research on this i've written papers on it and all sorts of stuff 250 to 300 out of those 13,000 are from a rifle of any type. That tells me that the rifle is perhaps not the issue here, that the issue is the people. I mean, again, you can take someone with just a little bit of training who's able to, uh, you know, you want to make the magazine smaller. I've heard people say about the AR-15. Well, cut it down from a 20-round magazine to a 10. That could save you a couple seconds, and it could save some lives. So I I don't see why that's that big of a problem. But, again, going from uh, 20 round to 10 rounds, then all you do, you know what you would do overseas if you had a a 10-round magazine and that's all you had? You carry more. Yeah, and you'd tape another one to it so that it's literally press the button, the mag release, and then flip it over and put it back in in there second two seconds i mean it's very yep. with a little bit of practice so uh, you know these things uh, th- there's a lot of the the gun control debate that I, I i look at it pragmatically and i don't look at it emotionally because of course i don't want anybody to be murdered i absolutely do not particularly children and the innocent and things like that but when you do look at it pragmatically and you start looking at the numbers you realize uh, the issue is more handguns for one Rifles are are just a t- tiny fraction. Yeah, I mean, but it's, the, it's, the thing is that they're flashy. 
They're they when when they're when they're yeah. used, it's a big thing. Like like the horrible tragedy in Parkland that was like seventeen at once, yeah. and that and that's why makes AR fifteen makes the, a big splash. Exactly, yeah. that's why they get a lot of attention. You don't hear about the things like when I was working in a New York City newsroom where you know we would get uh, uh, what they're called BNNs, the breaking news uh, from police, the people that basically monitor the scanners for news networks, and every night there were gun murders taking place in New York City, Northern New Jersey, Southwest Connecticut. Connecticut, Long Island, every night you'd hear about a, uh, a gun murder happening in one of those areas, even though gun violence is at an all-time low right now. Um, you would hear about these things happening, and unless there were more than you know one person, unless there were two people or more or some other extenuating circumstance, it didn't make our newscast, typically, depending on the location of it. I mean, if someone gets murdered at the FAO Schwartz toy store in Manhattan, okay, that's going to be on the newscast. But if it happens at a, uh, you know, outside of a strip club in, in Brooklyn, eh, that's probably not going to be as big of a thing. I mean, it depends on the location, it depends on what happened. But because of that, people don't hear about these things all that regularly. And that's why I think people are so focused on the mass shootings, which are, they happen far too often, but they're relatively rare when you actually look again at those numbers and it's a difficult thing to look yeah, at pragmatically I, yeah i wrote an article about this how people say there have been 18 school shootings this year that is not true that is not true because it is get, true under a certain definition well, yeah it, it depends on how you how you define school shooting they're using the definition of any shooting that takes place anywhere near a school no matter what time when we think of a school shooting we think of something awful like newtown like parkland uh that a group that was doing that. And I, I had an interaction with Everyday them on Twitter USA or a while something. back. Yeah, and there's concerned mothers against gun violence who also did something similar. Uh, they included like someone who uh, killed themselves on school property at 2 a.m. in a parking lot. It's not quite the same thing. It's it's a bad thing, but it's not quite the same thing. But yeah, this is a uh, this is a subject matter that is certainly a difficult one. But I'll tell you this: I don't think that blocking people from promoting posts that discuss it honestly and openly like facebook did the first two times again before our phil briggs reached out to them a third time and talked to someone directly and they told him yes we did read the story and we put it down but that was a mistake yeah, how many mistakes are being made morning briefing back after this helping military veterans stay connected we make it easy we're cbs radio's connectingvets.com connecting vets every day online and all over social media facebook youtube instagram and twitter at connecting vets welcome back to the morning briefing monday march 5th 2018 edition can you believe it's already march 5th it was Christmas like two days ago, and now St. Patrick's Day, it's just around the corner. You know what's just around the corner? ConnectingVets.com. As soon as you click on it or tap on it on your phone, you are going to get the best and most complete website focusing on the veteran experience that there is. News stories like Phil Briggs focusing on whether Facebook is blocking posts about guns because, well, they blocked his for a couple days until he was able to speak to someone directly and then they finally changed their tune. We've got that news story on there. We've got great things about, oh, how's this? A discount. Everybody likes saving a little bit of money. If you enjoy skiing, 
And I do. I've only gone once in the last like 20 years. We went last winter and had a, a pretty fun time. Uh, tried to get my son to go skiing for the first time. He wasn't having it. He's one of those kids who he, uh, if he's not good at it right away, he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> That's kind of what we're having to work on with him. But there are great ski discounts for veterans out there, and you can find those right on our homepage. And of course, careers, jobs. That's a big one for veterans. Did you know that Microsoft is looking to put more veterans into their IT fields within that massive conglomerate? They are. Also, Hilton Hotels, we talked to them last week. They've hired 10,000 veterans just in the last couple of years, and it's worked out so well for them that they've announced that they want to hire 20,000 more. In keeping with the fact that their first two CEOs, Conrad Hilton and his son Barron, both veterans, Conrad serving in World War One, Barron serving in World War Two. Yeah, Hilton's got a history of hiring veterans and a history that's going to become ever more clear to everyone as you take a look at stories like that on ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. One of the other things we have on our website, podcasts. Do you know what a podcast is? Well, it's basically an encapsulated radio program that you can listen to at your leisure. You're able to download it, stream it live, whatever the case may be. Podcasting has become really a a wonderful aspect of the broadcast media uh, sphere, the spectrum. And right now we've got a host of one of the great podcasts out there focusing on veterans, specifically on entrepreneurship and veterans who have found success and veterans who are working towards success within that field of entrepreneurship. He is Rod Rodriguez, host of the After Action Review podcast and joins us now in the morning briefing. Rod, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So let's first talk a little bit about who Rod Rodriguez is. Now, there are people out there who are just fascinated and intrigued by the veteran entrepreneur world because of all the amazing stories that are out there who aren't veterans, but you, well, you are one. So let's talk about where you came from. When'd you join? Where'd you serve? What'd you do? Oh boy. Uh, well, let's start off with the most boring story possible. <laughs> uh, where did Rod Rodriguez come from? I joined the army as a artillery guy, uh, not even a cool artillery guy. I was a field, uh, the, uh, the fire direction dude. So I just kind of pointed digitally and said, shoot over there. Uh, so I wasn't cool. Uh, and then I decided how much less cool can I possibly be? Oh, you know what? Military intelligence. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Not cool at all. Yeah. So I'm putting your, your listeners to sleep right now. <laughs> how many people do you think have just switched off? They're like, am I click dork? Yeah. And of course that's always, it's a contradiction <laughs> to many people. They're like military intelligence. That's like uh, dry water. You know? Ah, you know what though? <laughs> I, 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 you know, as much as I rag on my own, my own branch of, uh, the army, you know, they, they have some of the best, uh, professionals in the world. And I can, I can tell you, I, I worked with some of the very, uh, finest people in the military, mm. the United States army. So yeah, I did. I was a human intelligence, uh, warrant for a hot bit and, uh, ran around the world, did fun stuff. And then it, you know, I thought it was my time to get out. You know, a lot of people say like, you got out at 10 years. Are you insane? You had Mm. 10 more to go. Like, yeah, well, if your car breaks down on a trip from uh, Maine to California, it breaks down in Texas. You're not going to get out of your car and be like, yeah, I can hoof it. (laughs) Make it the rest way. Exactly. I I understand that. I did 13 years myself. Now I got out, (laughs) not of my own volition. The Navy decided they were going to cut 60,000 jobs or so. And I was one of them. They said, hey, here's severance pay. And before they said that, they said, well, you can switch to another job. And they wanted me to switch from a journalist, mass communication specialist to like cop. 
Master at Arms. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't really want to do that. I've got (laughs) the best job in the military, and you're asking me to go to one of the more thankless jobs where I'm going to be dealing with the the dregs of the military who are in trouble. Uh, No, no, don't want to do that, so moved on. Uh, When you finish up after 10 years, what was that transition like for you? I mean, how well prepared do you think that you were to transition out of the Army after 10 years? I got to say, I think I was better prepared than most of the other vets that get out, and the only reason I was better prepared was because uh, I got out with a bachelor's degree. So yeah. I was one of those, again, let's talk about my dorkiness. I was that dork that was constantly doing college. Yeah. And this is something <laughs> that I, I used to, you know, I used to write counseling statements to my soldiers. Like, how much college money did you use this semester? How much college money have you used this year from <laughs> your, uh, from your, your, not your Montgomery GI Bill, but they have the tuition the assistance. Tuition program, assistance. Yeah. How much TA did you use up in it? If you're not using it up in the end of the year, bro, you're leaving money on the table. Oh, yeah. What's wrong with you? Would you leave $1,000 on the table? You, of course you wouldn't. I was in for 13 years and took zero college courses. Yeah. And, so you know, I'm an example of that. And, and unfortunately, I think that has a lot to do with the, the, the climate of leadership uh, at the time. I think that you and I come from a generation that was actually transitioning, the generation that was moving in a different direction. Yeah. So we're dinosaurs. Our leaders are dinosaurs. The new generation of of Joe, his educated, most, a lot of soldiers are coming into the military with associate's degrees. Yeah. They understand the value of education, but at the same time, of course, counterbalance that kind of depreciates the value of a bachelor's degree, which is kind of like the new high school diploma. So now not only do you need a bachelor's, but you really need to have experience to back it up, Yeah, which is again, one of those one of those advantages you're going to get in the military. Yeah. You're walking out with real life experience and a degree. Whereas that college kid is walking out with like keg stands and you know oh, yeah. probably some sketchy political beliefs. <laughs> well, as someone who went to uh, first a community college to finish my associates and then a, a four year university to finish my bachelor's, there are some students at those schools who are hard charging high performers and the day I showed up I could have told you which ones were going to have success and I would have been a hundred percent right on each and every one of them because you could just tell now there are also people who will come out with that four-year degree who basically slept through four years of of college and didn't do anything and, and don't have the actual skills but they have that piece of paper and when you're trying to sell yourself that piece of paper is a big deal That's, of course, if you're going into the world of working for a company like I do. I mean, this one is it's a little bit different in broadcast media. It's a thing you can either do it or you can't. But still, uh, the paper can help you get your foot in the door. There's another aspect of the veteran community and the vet sphere as far as people finding their place afterwards where they don't go to work for a company and they never wanted to. They want to work for themselves. We're speaking of the veteran entrepreneurs, and that is where Rod Rodriguez's After Action Review podcast, it's where it focuses and what you're taking a look at. So what made you decide to start this podcast that focuses on those veteranpreneurs that are out there? The first job I got when I left the service was with a startup company, uh, and it was all vet run. We're talking about a bunch of West Point grads, um, really smart dudes. Dudes that I thought were way smarter than me. There was times I would sit there and be like, what am I even doing in this room? Um, <laughs> not even sure what, what's going on here, but very smart guys. And I watched them uh, maneuver the world of business, right. making deals, understanding how business works. And this fascinated me, absolutely fascinated me. So when I started this podcast, it was not with the intent of starting my own business. 
uh, the podcast became a business because I realized like, wow, I really, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for a living is I want to be able to talk to very interesting people, especially veterans, promote businesses, educate the general public about who we are and what we bring to the table. But also, uh, you know, it gives me a chance to meet some just genuinely cool people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and you've got 35 episodes, if I'm if I'm not incorrect yeah, right I, now. Yeah, I do. 35 people that you're able to talk to about such a variety of things. I mean, I, I see people on the list that you've talked to that we've talked to as well. People like Dan Alaric, CEO and founder of Grunt Style. Um, overall, 35 episodes in, what is the biggest lesson that you've taken away from those veterans that you've talked to, those veterinarians who've come on the AAR podcast? So here's here's one of the lessons that i've learned and the biggest lesson is you're going to make mistakes mm -hmm. and you you say i have 35 episodes i really have about 47 maybe 50. how many episodes have i screwed up <laughs> how many episodes that i just have to can yeah. let me tell you one of my favorite guests was mike allred and i think he was a uh, guest number one or two i think he's guest one we did his hour about four times Hmm. He's a good friend of mine, and he, <laughs> so he, he he was the lab rat. He was my lab rat. He was my <laughs> guinea pig. And this guy stuck with me for four hours. We did the same hour four times till I got it right. So all of us, uh, whether you're uh, an entrepreneur, uh, whether you're sitting at a nine to five, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from them. Entrepreneurs, they simply want, they should, let me let me rephrase that, they should want to contribute something that they feel uniquely uh, capable of doing. That's, that's the only difference. But as a broadcast journalist, uh, if you're sitting at it, let, let me tell you, if you're, if you're a listener and you're sitting in front of a computer right now and you're, you're grinding away at a nine to five job, you probably are using some type of entrepreneurial skills to get your, do to get your job done. Mm -hmm. You're doing something that you feel uniquely gifted at. Whether it's I can type fast or I'm a PowerPoint ranger, that's your gift. That's your skill set. What you have to do if you want to become an entrepreneur, if you want to work for yourself, is figure out what it is that you want to do for the world. What do you want to project? Whether it's art, business, uh, what, uh, some type of business, whether it's uh, creativity. And really, that's what it is. It's, it's about creativity. Right. And mixing that with making some money out of your creativity and whatever it is that is. You know, in talking to so many people through the, as you said, possibly 50 episodes, but 35 that you've actually put out there, 35 that you're going to listen to, that you're going to hear, <laughs> I want to hear those, the 15 lost episodes of the AAR podcast no, with the mistakes. <laughs> in those 35 episodes or 50 total, uh, you know, have you noticed any common threads beyond, beyond obviously uh, learning the lesson that right. you're going to make mistakes. What are some of the uh, common things that you think have led to success for those veteran entrepreneurs that have been, you know, like Dan, huge successes with grunt style. I'm going to be super corny here, but I'm going to blame Dan Ellerick for this. Yeah. He's uh, a corny guy. He's, he's such a corny guy. Let's just, you know, let's just sit here and bash Dan Ellerick for the yeah, next hour. Yeah. I'm cool with that now. Um, you know, Dan is a, is an interesting case um, because he taught me something valuable and he did something no other guest has done mm. on my show and and that is after we were done recording he stopped me and said before you leave let me ask you a question and i sat back down you know recorders are off the whole nine yards and he right. says what's everyone doing that you think leads to their success mm -hmm. and i said 
well, you know, I kind of gave him some notes and specifics on different people that I had met. And he's sitting there and he's taking notes. Yeah. He's writing this stuff down. And I stopped for a minute. I looked at him. I said, you, sir, will never go hungry. You're never going to fail because you're doing something right now that will ensure your success. You are passionate about what you're doing. You, you just made $100 million last year. Yeah. And you're still trying to figure out the secret sauce. I saw what I was getting back from my income tax check and I was like, I am super awesome at what I do. Are, am I kidding me? Like, that's nothing. Yeah. You just made $100 million and you still want to be better. That is a huge thing, that, that continuing strive to grow. And I think also I've noticed from talking to a lot of them as well, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, that the the ones who have the most success, like a grunt style, for example, they grow, but they don't over expand. They don't overdo it. They don't try to do everything all at once. There tends to be a, a gradual planning process, which I think is something that comes from, you know, as a former military intelligence guy yourself, that there are often uh, steps and a roadmap that we want to put in place when we're in the military to achieve an objective. And I've noticed that with the most successful veteran companies, veteran owned companies, that they've kind of had that. They've had that planning in advance to kind of get from point A to point B instead of just trying to leap directly from A to B. And there's definitely a lot to be said about patience, mm. a lot to be said about planning. But I think one of the biggest lessons that we've all learned, and, and it kind of goes back to that, that euphemism, if you will, about, I don't know if I'm using the right word, euphemism or not, whatever. Uh, you know, uh, what, what, what's it, what, what do we say about best plans when they meet contact, mm. they fall apart? Yep. And understanding that right off the bat, like, no matter how much you plan, no matter how much to the to the cent you think your budget's going to work or whatever you're going to do, it's probably going to fall apart. Yeah. But the the ability to withstand the stress, the fear, the frustration, and to get through that and find success at the end of this that is the, that's what makes us different mm. from the average bear. That's what makes the veteran powerhouse to deal with in the world of entrepreneurship as things that would make other people crumble yeah that's on monday i yep. mean you're, you're talking about people who are starting businesses who have lost friends on the battlefield who have seen real fear who have experienced real stress right and then they're told hey the loan didn't go through well, oh, okay. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> Not the well, end of the world. Let's figure it out. That sucks, but let's move on. Um, that's that's a huge thing is just patience. And this is unfortunately something that younger veterans getting out, I don't think necessarily get it. I think the older vets, the E7s, uh, the O6s, the O5s, the guys that are getting out that are a little older, if you've got 10 plus years on you, you, you probably got out with some level of experiencing frustration as a leader, <laughs> experiencing, uh, you know, roadblocks. Oh, yeah. Young vets, they, and I'm not bashing my young vets, all right? I'm not, I'm not getting on you guys. These ding whippersnappers, you know, here's the thing about young vets. They're exposed to the world of instant, instant, instant. Look at Instagram. It's in the word. It's in the name for crying out loud. But we're talking about guys that are out there showing off uh, their their riches. Look at my yacht. Look at my look at my uh, car. Right. Look at this boat. Uh, people think that Dan Ellerick 
became Dan Alaric overnight. Yeah. And I don't think so. No. Listen to his story. In fact, one of his episode is one of my favorites because he talks about sleeping on boxes of unsold t-shirts. Yep. Living out of his car, eating peanut butter and jelly. And, exactly. And the, the best thing about his story that I, I, when I tell people about, you know, when they ask me about my favorite interviews and Dan has been on the show several times and we love talking to him because partially because his enthusiasm is so contagious. He just makes you feel good about yourself, which is odd because he's a former drill sergeant and usually they make you feel bad about yourself. You they know? try to. Yeah, yes. they try to. Absolutely. He, uh, you know, when he came on and told us about uh, going to a t-shirt convention and his wife saying, hey, if we make over $6,000, we can keep trying to do this. If you don't make over 6000 you're getting a real job. And they made like $6,001 or something yeah. ridiculous like that. I mean, as you said, that kind of stick to that veterans tend to have, I think in part comes because you're forced to deal with it. If you take orders to, uh, I'll, I'll use uh, a place that I uh, that I was uh, sent to where things weren't working quite right when I got there and had about a year and a half to fix them, uh, like Sudabay Crete. I took orders to Crete, went over there, and when I got there and saw that there were a lot of messed up things going on and they weren't doing things right, I didn't have the option of quitting. Yep. They didn't have the option going like, well, I guess I'll just go look for another job. No, man, I took those orders. I was there. I had to deal with it. And I had two options. Let things continue to be all jacked up or try and fix them. And that's it. Do you think that that plays a part in it? The fact that you know, when you take orders to a command, you're there and you've got to you've got to operate within the parameters given to you and try to change things instead of just giving up and moving on to another company like so many uh, young folk coming out of college, high school, things like that. They do that today. We, we have the innate ability. We've been taught and not always through our own volition. <laughs> sometimes it's been pounded in our head is sometimes you have to just put your eyes down, head forward nug through and that's just what you have to do there's no shortcut to a 20k road march mm -hmm. it's just left in front of the right and then right in front of the left now here's the thing though the problem with veteran with entrepreneurship sometimes is when when is it smart to stop right when is the pivot point i mean if you're failing you're failing you're failing there's a difference between uh persistence and insanity yeah. like what you're doing is not working yeah maybe you need to pivot maybe you need to stop and do an orient check and figure out which direction am i actually supposed to be going right and this is where uh these online groups are really useful uh this is why podcasts are useful and one of the things i tell people all the time on my show is don't hesitate for a minute to reach out to me or any of my guests at the end of every episode, every guest tells you how to reach out to them, mm -hmm. including Dan Ellering. Dan even said oh, yeah. he will sit and talk to you for 30 minutes if you want to. Yeah. He gives out his phone number. I mean, yeah. he guarantees he guarantees an interview with any veteran with a, uh, a good DD-214 that you are not guaranteed a job, but guaranteed an interview, which, uh, as we all know, the interview process is one of the two things that veterans tend to have uh, the most problems with. Again, because going back to those orders that you would take, you didn't have to interview for them. In the Navy, we talked to a detailer. Detailer said, this is what I have available. This is where I'd prefer you to go. Uh, what would you like to do? You, there you go. You're done. That's the extent of the interview. And resumes, I guess an eval or a fit rep could be similar to a resume, but it's set up a lot differently. And, and those things are what veterans have difficulty with. And now you have 
uh, the most successful veteran entrepreneur out there, opening up his door to you to come in, have a conversation or actually a job interview with his company. That's huge. And I think that is perhaps the most impressive and even important part of the veteran entrepreneur community is the fact that they don't even care if you're their competition, they're willing to sit down and help you. How important yeah. do you think that 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 brotherhood, sisterhood that we have is moving forward? Well, that brotherhood or sisterhood is is great, but I think it's sometimes uh, overblown. I think it's, it's sometimes exaggerated. Um, one of the things I, I do want people to understand is when it comes to passion and entrepreneurship, you don't just gain skills overnight. Uh, I have a podcast and I'm trying to, one of the things that I try and convey to people is, is I'm not a professional podcaster. I am not a business guru. I talk to really smart people and I try and put together a show, but I'm not a broadcast journalist. This is not my forte. This is not what I learned how to do. Mm. You're listening to every episode that you listen to is literally me learning to do this job. I taught myself how to mix audio from audacity. There you I, go. I, you know, literally Free program. I use 100%. <laughs> YouTube has been my favorite. I learned how to mix video from a little girl that taught makeup tutorials. And for like four episodes, she taught you how she made her videos. And I was like, that's how you do a cutaway. That's how you add graphics. That's how you do a picture in picture. <laughs> oh my God. I get it. So here's the thing. If you're a vet and you want to go, oh, God forbid you want to do another t-shirt business, but uh, let's say, and I, I know I cringe. There are some really great small t-shirt companies out there, yeah. but listen, if you really want to start your bakery, let's go with bakery, right? You think you can bake the world's best cookies and this is what you want to do when you're a veteran. You're not going to do this unless you're baking. Unless you understand how the world of baking works, unless right. you understand what the baking business looks like. My recommendation would be if you're retired and you have a sustainable income on the side, go get a job at a bakery. Yeah. Let your nine to five, not only do you earn a little bit of spending cash, but you're learning the in and outs of your future industry. Right. Don't assume that because you're a veteran, you're going to step into the world of business and be like, I'm starting a tech company today probably enjoy failing because yeah. that it doesn't work that way. Might want to get in someplace else, uh, you know, maybe yes. uh, entry level and figure it out, watch, learn, listen. And that's similar to the military experience. You know, you don't come in no. as a Sergeant first class. You don't come in as a major or Lieutenant Colonel. You come in as a, as a first Lieutenant, you come in as a private, you come in as a seaman recruit, you come in as an ensign in the Navy and you work your way up. Now, if you have the perfect idea for an entrepreneurship company that you want to get started. It may work out that way where you come in as the four star admiral and you end up, you know, putting on that fifth star within a year. I, that's possible, but it's not very likely. So is winning the lottery. Yeah. There's a so lot is of winning things. the lottery. I mean, that's, that's really what you're, that's really what that is, is if you come out and you're like, I just happen to have the best idea and I met the perfect investor and we had a uh, uh, business bliss, mm -hmm. if you will. It, great. Congratulations. You literally won the lottery of business. But most people, and when I say most, I mean like 99% of businesses out there, you are probably going to need a nine to five yep. to fund your business. But here's the thing. Everyone talks about sacrifice, right? Sacrifice is your time, your effort. Let me tell you, I used to be an avid jujitsu player. I love Brazilian jujitsu. Oh, I've been I've doing just, it for years. I've just officially started, put on a gi for the first time like a month ago. And you will be addicted for the rest of your life. And I am too. 
But here's the thing. I used to go five days a week, two hours a day. It was my thing. But what am I at now? One, twice a week? Because that's not what I'm doing right now. Business, this podcast is my passion. And that podcast is the After Action Review Podcast. Rod Rodriguez, the host, has been joining us here on The Morning Briefing. Rod, very quickly, if people want to find out more about the After Action Review Podcast, where do they go to do it? Just check out www.theaarpodcast.com. And I'm on Facebook at slash the AAR podcast. Morning briefing Monday edition comes to an end. We'll be back tomorrow with Hill Vets and more. Have a great day. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams. Thanks for everything, mom and dad. Will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.